I tell you what, I'm 72 years old, man, and I've figured all this stuff out, so anybody can. Podcast Junkies, episode 118. It has been a long couple of weeks, lots of things going on. Sorry for the delay, guys. These episodes have actually been in the can, so to speak, and that's podcasting talk for episodes that have been previously recorded, but just haven't been published yet. So I've got this one with uh, Gary Jenkins, which is the one you're going to hear today, and uh, another one coming up with Rich and Sean from The Language of Bromance. But let me not get ahead of myself. Um, what have been? What have I been working on? As many of you know already, I, I do have a, a full-time podcasting consultancy that I'm looking to expand, and I'm looking to also uh, get involved with speaking publicly more, which some of you may have heard me talk about. And so I've been in some training classes for that, and also putting some effort into a video course. It's been something that's been on the shelf for about a year, and late 2016, I really made a concerted effort to ask for help. So uh, I signed up for some uh, intensives that uh, I just came back from. It was in Colorado Springs, and that's another two full days of training that uh, was something that was taking up a lot of my time and another reason why I haven't been able to get around to these episodes. So um, I think it's all good. And I think it's something that I'm not stressed out too much about. I, I'm, I was trying to think of ways to do it, maybe on the trip and maybe in the hotel room, but sometimes the days are just so long and you run out of time and it's, it comes to be like 9 p.m. and you're just totally, totally tired. And last weekend was a working weekend and uh, I'm trying to make sure that this one isn't. So it is Thursday evening and uh, hopefully by the time this gets edited, and the show notes done, it'll be out uh, early next week, uh, Monday or Tuesday. We interrupt our regularly scheduled intro. <laughs> so I think I've always wanted to say that, especially since I have a microphone in front of me, a brand new microphone, courtesy of our newest sponsor, Shure. Shure Microphones, for sure. I had a fantastic conversation with the team there. And uh, they were pretty excited about partnering, as it seems we have a, an audience appreciation in common, if you will. So um, I'm, I'm really excited. I got the SM7B, which is what you're listening to right now, connected. And I, I couldn't be happier. It just looks amazing and it sounds good as well. So probably a bit longer <laughs> and I'll, I'll try to keep these a bit shorter in terms of the uh the mention but i just wanted to let you guys know that I'm, I'm really happy to partner with them and i'll be introducing you to other parts of their line uh that i've been uh, sent to to test and to check out and to report back to you actually i'm using the uh the headphones as well go ahead and check out the full list at podcastjunkies.com slash sure so Gary reached out to me via Twitter, and it, what's, what was interesting is you, you may have heard me speak about the fact that I'm usually not a big fan of just cold reach outs because I like to have some sort of connection with the guests 
And I find that makes for a much more engaging conversation. But I was really surprised and really happy that I did because he's, I, I think he may be the oldest podcast junkie guest. I'd have to think back a bit on that one. But uh, you'll hear him mentioned on the show, so it's no surprise he's 72. And his enthusiasm for learning new technologies and new platforms is really, really fun. Uh, and um, it's just engaging to be around because you can tell that he has a really, uh, a really genuine interest in using these platforms like Twitter to find out how he, connect, how he can connect with new fans of his show. His podcast is called uh, Gangland, and uh, he's based out of Kansas City, and he focuses on mob stories from the west side of the country as opposed to the more common ones that we hear about in, uh, in the east side, in Chicago, in New York City. And it comes from his 25 years of being on the force, and as you might imagine, when someone spends that much time, he's got... Uh, in that job, he's got a lot of stories to tell. So we dove into a couple and we dove into the origins of the podcast and a little bit about his co-host, Aaron. And all in all, it was a really fun time and I'm, I'm really glad I got to connect with him. I think I'm going to see if we meet up at probably Podcast Movement, but I really think you're going to enjoy this. His enthusiasm is something that we all could learn a lesson from. So stay tuned to the end of the episode for our her attention hashtag and I, now that I think about it, I may have just jumped into this episode. <laughs> if you're new to the show, I'm Harry Duran, and this is Podcast Junkies. New episodes, weekish, week, <laughs> every week-ish, uh, given what's going on in my world. But uh, as always, focused on trying to get back, back on track, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Last but not least, we are also sponsored by Podbean. I had a nice follow-up with the team there as well in the last few weeks, and I was really impressed at the level at which they're digging into the feedback from podcasters. So head on over to podbean.com slash podcast junkies. So we could just jump into it. Okay, let's do it. So, Gary Jenkins, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. It's my pleasure to be here. I started listening to your show, I don't know, when I first started doing this, or maybe not that long ago, but at least a year or so ago, and I've always enjoyed listening to you interview podcasters to see, you know, how it works for other people. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because this is such a tight-knit community, and eventually you start to cross paths with people um, who are friends of friends, Yeah, and, and uh, you actually reached out to me uh, via Twitter. Right, right. I, I, I do a lot of tweeting of my stuff because I'm linked from Instagram. I tell you what, I'm 72 years old, man, and I've figured all this stuff out. So anybody <laughs> can. It's Instagram automatically goes to Twitter, it goes to Facebook, and and my Facebook. One way I do it goes to Twitter. So I, I've gotten some Twitter fans, and I've made a lot of contacts on Twitter, mainly with other podcasters, though, but uh, a few other fans. Yeah, it's interesting. What's interesting, Gary, is that, uh, you know, I'll, as the show grows, people find out about it. And sometimes I get requests from people who obviously have never listened to it because they're trying to pitch me like someone that does sales and they want to talk oh, about, yeah. about their book. And 
and I usually respond. I, what I've been responding now with lately is, "Oh, tell me what your favorite episode is," because then <laughs> if, if they can't if they can't answer that, then uh, trying to get some free publicity. You know, the, the one that got me, I, I got to answer that because the one that got me when I I tweeted you. I that's the second time I tweeted you actually. When I tweeted you back, I gave you a little more personal information. Was that lady Katie that was just on there? She had so much energy and yeah. and and I could see that kind of. Uh, 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 you know, that getting in touch with oneself and, and, uh, you know, how you use that to, uh, you know, increase your energy to create things. And, and I thought, well, I've done some of that stuff. And so that makes me a more interesting person. Well, I, I imagine that's not the only thing that makes you an interesting person. <laughs> I mean, uh, you've been in law enforcement for 25 years, roughly. Is that about I was. About I about? was. I retired in 1996, started in 1971, spent 13 years investigating organized crime. So that was kind of my primary uh, job for those 13 of those 25 years. And, and where do you call home now? Kansas City, Missouri. And so what I've noticed about the podcast is that you've focused uh, – one of the focuses is on um, the mafia, but the ma- not the traditional mafia as most people would recognize it from the movies, but I think yeah. it's the mafia from the, the west side of the country. Right, right. I, I've done a little bit. I did one uh, few episodes on Murder Incorporated, which is out of New York, but primarily Chicago. I have a huge following in Chicago. They have a huge outfit. We call it the outfit in Chicago, a huge outfit fan base and Facebook pages. And it's just been unbelievable the uh, number of fans there are on Chicago. And they're all they're all getting to know me in the podcast. I mean, the uh, Facebook page administrators are getting to know me. We exchange information and I've gotten some guests that, that have phoned in because we try to use either the policemen who investigated these crimes or the criminals themselves who have now gone into witness protection or gone straight and written a book. And that's kind of our, our motto is out of the mouths of the men that did it. But and we've done I did. A, I got a huge response out of an L.A. mob thing I did. I promoted it on Facebook. And and that thing, I think it has actually got the most downloads right now of, of any and in a short period of time because there's such a huge population stream down there. Yeah. So that's uh, you know, that's been my my primary focus that and serial killers. I'm just getting into serial killers. There's a huge <laughs> fan base out there. People love serial killers. Go figure. But well, I, I, what was interesting is that when you first reached out and I saw the 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 name of the podcast, I I know that there's a big big uh, desire for people to dig deep into the history of these serial killers, and there's a lot of popular shows out there that delve into the topic. And so I was a little hesitant because uh, I hadn't listened to the show yet, and I thought it was just. I, th- I think there's a part of me that, that that sort of is averse to shining a spotlight or glamorizing this oh, aspect yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of of crime. But I think after listening to a couple of your episodes, it's clear that you know you're on the side of uh, just telling the stories of these people and and you know the wrongs they did and and the interesting the stories that come out as a result of of doing this for 25 years. And that's what I try to do, tell, tell the history of it in an entertaining way and not particularly glamorizing or, or denigrating the people. I'm careful, and sometimes I'll point out that these were these were people, too, and they had wives and, uh, you know, cousins and children, and, and every once in a while that'll pop up. And Plus, I, I like to do it as a police procedural type. How, does, how do the police really look at these things, and how do you investigate these kinds of crimes? So that's, uh, that's been kind of my, the way I've looked at it. And how did you come up with the name, Gangland Wire? 
<laughs> I, w- I did the documentary film. I was sitting in a hotel room in Las Vegas with my son, who was by, who flew in from Texas, who was going to be our grip and our, our guy that set everything up. And the guy had hired to uh, uh, video the interviews. And this was about the Midwest mobs were skimming a lot of money out of Las Vegas back in the 70s. And so I had several people lined up, retired FBI, FBI agents and a true crime author from out there and a, a, an expert, a historical expert, uh, Mike Green. And, and we were sitting in a hotel room talking about we were making a documentary film about this area, kind of the backstory behind the film Casino. And so we were talking. The, I love The Wire. We all loved The mm. Wire at the time. And, and it was about wiretapping. And that's this my documentary film is about wiretapping basically and, and how you use wiretaps to gather information and on, on mafia guys and have a lot of old wiretaps clips from wiretaps that I've gotten from the FBI and that I use in the film. And we're sitting around talking and, and I don't know, we're just batting names back and forth. And finally between the three of us, we came up with the wire and then, then we got to something to go with the wire. And so we came up with gangland wire. So that's a long answer. To- <laughs> I think it's fascinating because obviously new podcasters are trying to name their show and they, you know, anything, any insight we can get into the thought process into how people put it together. I mean, my show is just a result of me thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a podcast junkie. Yeah. And sometimes you'd be surprised at the names that are still available. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, that's a great name. I, I became a podcast junkie uh, myself when I first listened to them. I never related that I would have one, but I just, I love cereal. Of course, we all got hooked on cereal. Yeah. And then I found these other true crime podcast and i thought well man i've got great stories and i do these shows on uh uh, uh i'll like show the movie and then answer questions or i'll show little clips from the movie at libraries or rotary clubs and and then just talk a little more about it and i noticed that people would just be entranced with me telling these stories so i thought well i'm gonna try podcasting Talk to me a little bit about that process, because um, as you mentioned, you're not afraid of technology and obviously you're active on social media. But I'm wondering when you realized that it was something that would help you continue to tell the stories. You've written two books, you've you've uh, produced a documentary. And so I see this, you know, it's funny how this is almost like the next logical step. And you're at the cutting edge in terms of like communication because, in, you know, it used to be blogs, but now it's podcasts, you know, as a way of telling the story. So when when um when you were thinking about the the podcast when was the moment that you thought that this was something that you could do yourself you know i had i had blogged for a long time but i just didn't feel like you know, just off my website and i just didn't feel like people were taking the time to really read it and i know a little bit about people's attention span and i know they they like to be entertained they like these stories and not everybody wants to slog through, you know, a kind of a police report, if you will. I'm, I'm, I'm a good, I'm no Ernest Hemingway. I'm a good police report writer and, you know, just the facts, ma'am. But, uh, and I don't know after I just know, I, I, I think it was a combination of noting how people were responding to me when I would talk in person. Okay. And, and, and I had other people give me feedback and said, you know, you know, you got those people, you got them in your hand. They are listening to you and there's no coughing. There's no getting up and going out there. 
you know, they're watching and I started noticing and and they were watching me and they were asking good, solid questions. That's how you know if you if you got your audience and when they start asking good, solid questions, you know that they're listening and you stirred them in some manner and that. And if they you know don't start coughing and shifting. <laughs> so I just I just knew I had a little bit of skill in this area. And I, I wanted I've been frantically trying to get my message outside of Kansas City. It's easy I can I can snag a lot of people in Kansas City because I've been in Kansas City all my yeah. life. I know a lot of people and and I have a big following in Kansas City. But how do I, I it's, a, it's a limited market, Kansas City is. How, and I want to do a book. Maybe I want to do another true crime documentary film or a true crime book or just and, and how do I get my message outside of Kansas City? That's that's been my mission ever since I did that movie, the doc the documentary Gangland Wire. And Amazon's been a huge help because they can rent it for a dollar ninety nine and and they continue to do that month after month. And and so I know it's getting outside of Kansas City, but the podcasting I realize is reaching around the whole world. As I started to investigate, I got hooked on them became the junkie. Yeah. And then I investigated in the podcast, how does this work and what does this even mean? And then I noticed people were reaching out for a minimal amount of money through the whole world. So now, you know, two and a half years later, two years later, I've got fans. I get message. I just got a message from a guy in Scotland and I've gotten them from uh, Norway and, and wow. uh, mainly Australia and, and England and, and, uh, you know, all over the mainly English speaking world. And, and, you know, they get hold of me and they're, you know, they like it. And so I, I realized that, you know, this is this really inexpensive format that may, makes, allows me to reach out to the whole world. So can you tell me, tell me a little bit about your co-host, Aaron? Oh, Aaron. Aaron's an interesting guy. Aaron, Aaron is a guy that I could never be. I had to work for the government to get some kind of solid, you know, uh, a pension, shall we say, and and some savings. Well, Aaron has always he he was a comedian, hmm. and he you know I mean it's tough, and you know it's a lot of competition out there, and so he's been a comedian, still does gigs once in a while, and and it's you know it's just not going where he can earn a living wage he's got some connections but it's you know it's just tough to do so but he also started this internet radio show he has on monday nights that he does as a live stream and and only recently he's kind of had it archived it where i think people can now run it more like a podcast where you can get it on demand i've been calling my podcast on demand radio by the way because yeah. podcasts people get a little scared off i may have heard that on your show or one of your sh- show like this people don't understand that word podcast older people do understand on demand radio but aaron he he i met him he was working for the local uh um film uh society that that a lot of people i've belonged to and there's a lot of people that want to make films and want to be actors and they just we have a meeting like once uh, once a month i haven't been for quite a while i think once a month they have a meeting they people go out and drink afterwards and they make connections and network and they sponsor film festivals and i met him there and he was i was i was renting equipment i first started doing uh little documentaries i did some some other documentaries I was learning the process and I met him there and he was doing the guy renting them out and we just became friends and over the years and, and, and I knew about his radio show cause he'd had me on it a couple of times over some other things I've done. I'm just kind of an interesting guest for different guests. He does independent unsigned music. So then he'll throw me on every once in a while and ask some police questions or there's some police controversy going on as a kind of a drive time 
you know, pattern deal with, with his independent signed music and signed music, uh, musicians that he plays or they'll be there. And, and so I thought, well, he's got a studio. He keeps a studio. He, he works, he works at another job in order to support all this, but he's got a studio. So let's see if he'd be interested. And I really didn't think about him being my co-host as much as I just wanted to pay him a little bit of money to, to run the boards and, and record it and give me the MP3 file and then I could go put it out. I knew I could do the rest of it. I could edit uh, and I could put it up. But immediately it, we realized we had some chemistry and, and we just kind of bounced back and forth. And it's been a great partnership because uh, people, that's one of the main comments I get from people is they like to hear Aaron and I talk about some of these crimes and maybe, you know, make, we make, not, I shouldn't say make, I'm careful about laughing in inappropriate times, but you know, some things are funny. And so, and he'll, he'll spot the funniness in it. So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of our story. And, he, and he's a good guy and a, and a great co-host. And he's got a great radio voice for mine's kind of this Northwest Missouri nasal twang. <laughs> well, I think it speaks to this idea of having someone to bounce ideas off of. And, and in a sense, Aaron plays the role of the listener sometimes because if you're making a comment about something or there's something that needs clarity, a lot of times the listener would be left hanging and Aaron's there to, you know, to sort of dig deeper or come in with the civilian perspective on things. I think that helps. That's exactly what he does. I, uh, I'll never forget. We kind of noticed he was doing this. We didn't plan this out. But I mean, that's how we've had conversations over the years. Anyhow, I'll use some police term. And the one time we really noticed it was I said they were making the block. And he said, well, what's that mean, making the block? Well, you know, man, everybody knows what making the block is. It means you went around the block two or three times. But apparently everybody doesn't know what making the block means. So he's always catching me on those kind of uh, the jargon, jargon, that kind of technical jargon or police jargon. So, Gary, tell me a little bit about uh, growing up, and and you actually grew up in Kansas, Kansas City, or actually, I came, I come from the farm, a uh, little town about fifty miles north of here. We lived in, we lived in the town, and we were farmers and part of a large farming family. I had asthma when I was a little kid, and and I loved it because I didn't have to go out and work. Every time I'd have an asthma attack, I could stay in town for a little bit. But then, as soon as that attack was over, I'd be back out there and working again. But so yeah, I grew up on the farm, and and then you know when I was eighteen years old, I had to get away and move to the city. I had, I have this checkered history. I, I I was bright enough to go on and go to school and do anything I wanted, but I didn't. I I went down another path and and uh, got a work job in a factory and finally got. I saw the police department was hiring, and I guess I'd always wanted to do something like this, so I I applied and and I hadn't had my checkered past was not so bad. I couldn't get on as a cop. <laughs> So it, what's interesting about the era, if I, I'm doing a little bit of the math here, it's we're talking about the uh, late 60s. 1971, yeah. They were just, we had the riots in 68. The Vietnam War protests were huge in 70 and 71 when I came on right in the middle of that. So there were still, you know, my first car was in an all-black neighborhood, and, and there was still a lot of, lot of, of animosity. Um, we talk about animosity today between policemen and, and black folks. It's nothing like it was in 1970, 71, 72. Mm -hmm. It was so close after Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King was killed. Do you remember that day? Oh yeah. I was, I wasn't a policeman then. It was 1968, uh, April. Uh, I can't remember the exact date, but I was, I was working at the Ford plant. I guess one of the main, it is a, uh, assembly line employee with a lot of other assembly line employees and 
the the thing I remember they had to shut down that night because uh, most of the black guys couldn't get into work or they elected not to. Some people said they elected not to. It was always, you know, a little bit of that kind of white versus black thing. There always mm-hmm. is. And but I, I think a lot of them just were scared to leave their homes and their neighborhoods that night. And so, you know, they and then we did, we were shut down the next night, too. So I paid a lot of attention to it. It really affected, you know, even me way out in the suburbs. It, it affected all of us. Yeah, it's one of those seminal moments, like everyone remembers, you know, when JFK got shot, like, you know, and depends on the generation, Martin Luther King, you know, for me, it was the Challenger explosion. Um, and, and obviously, you know, everyone in the country remembers 9-11. So 9-11, yeah. They have, these are moments that, in some way or another, sort of uh, have us think of ourselves uh, as a, as a smaller, you get the small town feel. I, I, was, in New, I was in New York City at the time, and I, yeah. I was on the the rooftop of my building watching the towers go down and it literally for the first time felt like I was in a small town the next couple of days you would say hi to the the people in the street and you know just yeah. everyone was looking out for each other and and you you come from a small town so that's that's not, nothing new to you but I'm I'm wondering if how you've seen the the change in that over over the decades you know of of people moving into the cities and maybe feeling more isolated and if you see that there's a a, a return to maybe just being more neighborly, if you will. <laughs> yeah, you know, I live over in the middle of the city and in, in a neighborhood that has changed over the last 20 years or so. And, and a lot of young people and right down the street from the Google uh, where Google moved in and set up their headquarters. We were one of the early cities to get Google fiber. So all these young people moved in and, and we're, we're right on state line and just across state line in Kansas, there was a lot of real inexpensive, uh, offices that a person could rent. So a lot of young people, they, they said they, they rented one big one and set up one of these office sharing arrangements. And then there's a bunch of little ones and they're real close to Google. And we were one of the first neighborhoods to get Google fiber. And so everybody was all excited and, and we're going through that kind of a change right now here in Midtown. It's a, uh, uh, crime is always uh, a problem. And, and, but what that does and these, uh, the neighborhoods are, you know, much closer in many ways, more like a small town. And part of it, I hate to say it, uh, technology, again, part of it is because of Facebook. Mm. We, in, in the West Plaza Neighborhood Association, all the little neighborhood associations around, and I think it's like this in the suburbs, but I'm not sure, um, they all have neighborhood association watch pages. And so it, it works like a watch. And if there's a crime problem going on, somebody is out there putting it on and, and saying, you know, we had this happen and we had that happen and, and we get to know each other. Sometimes we get to know too much about some of these guys out there that get on Facebook, but because <laughs> there's lots of complaints on there too. Yeah. But, uh, but we really, you know, it's like they become real people. Whereas before Facebook, all these people around here were not real people. Mm-hmm. I've always been active in the neighborhood association, so I would know a lot of people, but I know a whole lot more now, at least via Facebook. And they know something about me, like had something I wanted to just get rid of and I didn't feel like taking it to the thrift shop and it was good stuff. I put it out on the curb twice now and I just said, you know, I've got some, I'm giving away the things I love and here are some of them. And, and within about 10 minutes, somebody's back on the Facebook page saying, hey, hold that for me. I'll be by. So, you know, you know, there's people I would never have known. And, and so we kind of have that. You know, for those reasons, I feel a real small town feel of this neighborhood association here, this neighborhood here, which is right in the middle of the city. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, I think to the, to the point that we we can make technology 
our friend and allow us to connect with people and you know block out the the noise because there's there's a bunch of crap on there if you will <laughs> yeah oh, <laughs> that'll, yeah. that'll oh, just yeah. you know send you down a rabbit hole and waste your time but i think uh, if you're focused and 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 you and you have the right conversations. It, it can be a nice place, and, and you can follow some pages of people that are doing some good things. Um, I imagine so now that you mention it, I, I wonder if some of these neighborhood watch groups, uh, to your to your point, are are active across the nation on Facebook, um, and and they use it probably to their advantage and maybe to communicate with their neighbors and say, "Hey, saw this going on," or "Say saw that going on." Where in the past it would be have to be a flyer on a telephone pole. I would think so. You know, I, I don't have any experience, but I would think so. And, you know, what like if you have a big crime, I've seen this happen. If you have a, a a series of crimes in your neighborhood, that will drive people. And that's what drives people here. Lots of times is some series of crimes. And that will it was just like after 9-11, everybody was scared. So yeah. when we get scared, we stick together. I mean, we're, we're pack animals, we're herd animals, and we got we get safety in the herd. Now, when we don't see, feel so scared, then sometimes I'll retreat into my own ego and think, hey, I can take care of this. And, uh, so that's, uh, I hate to say it, but that is some, some of the things that, that drive us together, and yeah. technology helps with that. Not bad, you know, they always have, that's a big topic in big cities is crime in the neighborhood. Not crime, not the big crime, but the crime that's next door. Yeah, you know the shooting or the robbery. We live next to a, a shopping district, and and on the plaza, and if there's a shooting or a brawl or something on the plaza, they people up here are just going nuts. You know, wondering, oh, what are we gonna do? And <laughs> well, this bar's staying open too late. Now go down and protest at liquor control and make complaints about a particular bar, and and because they're right on the edge of the neighborhood association. What what I thought was interesting is as you were wrapping up your career, you had a discussion with Aaron about uh, your move into community policing. And I, you talked about an incident where uh, you stopped a couple of uh, young kids. And, and I think it was the moment that you realized that you... <laughs> you, that you yeah. didn't didn't want to do that anymore. Could you tell? Could you yes. could you tell that story? That was again? A, that was a that was a seminal moment for me. Talk about one that'll remain stick in my memory. Uh, man, I was you know I. You could get this overtime, and I was managing the overtime. It was a weed and seed program. We would weed out the criminals by throwing a lot of extra policemen into a particular area, and then we had other money that would, through the community policing people, that would then go in and like form a they formed a police athletic league out of that, and and some things like that in this neighborhood, and do do positive things and work with the neighborhood groups. So you could get. You could work eight hours overtime, which is pretty good money. I was a sergeant at the time, and and I was I can make pretty good money. And it, and I just kind of drove around and hit all the hot spots where there'd been a lot of crime reported, and that had a you know a visible presence in that area. And you know, or do something if it's needed. Usually didn't have to do anything because as soon as they see you drive in, everything everybody just lays low and takes off. You've seen it on the wire five o five o, you know, and they're gone. So I drive up to this little park and I didn't, I wasn't paying any attention and I didn't even know what I knew about where I was, but usually as a policeman, you need to know what address you're at all the time about the cross sections. And I didn't remember if I pulled in off of 25th or 27th, pull in this park and I see these two cars parked and one of them has a Kansas official Kansas state tag, like it's 
owned by the state of Kansas, like a minivan. And I thought, oh, well, but there's another car behind it. And there's three guys standing around there talking. They just didn't quite look right. Yeah, I can't explain it. Just, it just, they didn't look right. So I'd go down the street and I'd turn around and come back and, and they're giving me what we call the fish eye. And that's when you, uh, you may know that term. That's, that's when they're like looking at you like, Oh, oh, <laughs> uh -oh. Yeah. And, and, and so I pull up and I just say, Hey, what's going on, man? They say, Oh, not nothing. And, and I don't know. They just were getting hinky. And, and as I'm standing there and I step up outside my car, one of them takes off running. It's like, oh, 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 well, where am I? I need some help. What am I? I got two guys standing here, two cars, me. I pull my gun out and I said, okay, put your hands up against the car. So I get the, my radio on the other hand. I said, okay, I got two guys hold, held at gunpoint. I don't know what's going on. Well, where are you? I said, well, uh, I'm at uh, 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 well, Spring Valley Park. Well, well, we're in Spring Valley Park. Uh, well, uh, uh, in the middle of it. <laughs> So I know these other cars around there, they'll hear that and they're all coming towards Spring Valley Park, hopefully. And and so, and so then I, I get they push up against I get them pushed up against the back of this van and they're not doing anything, but they're one guy's mouthing and I get his driver's license from him and I kind of step back because you don't want to get too close if they get hold if they can get hold of you and mm -hmm. get your gun. It's better to stay about 10 feet back. You shouldn't even, I shouldn't have been as close as I was to get his driver's license. And all of a sudden, the guy that gets it, that has his driver's license, he takes off running and, and I'm left with one. <laughs> so, wow. so he's subservient and I go ahead and handcuff him. We get help there. And, and I said, Hey, man, I said, How come you didn't run off? He said, Well, he said, You had my, that other car was my car. You had my car there. <laughs> <laughs> had nowhere, and, to, and nowhere I, to go. And nowhere to, and I really didn't. He knew he was also. He's a, these were professional criminals. Uh, he knew that I didn't have anything on him. He was there to buy these computers. The other other two had stolen the van uh, from the blind school over in Kansas City, Kansas, the school for the blind, and then went around some uh, uh, offices and broke in and stole a bunch of computers. And so the back of it was full of computers. And this guy was there to buy them. So the, and they'd been they were like a ring. These other two guys are part of a ring and been doing this for several uh, months now. So we, we ended up getting them identified. Now, I couldn't identify them by photo, but but somehow it gave the detectives enough to go on that they got they busted up the ring after that. So but I knew right then, like, you know, I'm, I've lost my edge. I should have been 10 times as careful as this. I just pulled up there like, hey, what's going on, man? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's something to do with the fact that um, you know you've been doing it for so many years, and you, like you said, to your point, you're you're probably a bit too relaxed and a bit too yeah. comfortable. And the fact is that you caught yourself, and and you know, thankfully, nothing happened to you. But I think that was your that was your uh, aha moment. Like <laughs> it was, it was. I was, I was, you know, I knew I was going to retire. Pretty sure I was going to retire at twenty five years. I had my. I had taken my LSAT and been accepted. I think I'd been accepted to law school or at least had a decent LSAT test. So I, I'm pretty sure I was going to go to law school. And, and so I decided to go to law school and, and do all that stuff in a safe way rather on the streets. <laughs> and now you've got all these uh, amazing stories to tell about your, your, your experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have a few. The other uh, aspect to that that you cover is, um, or that you've mentioned on the show, is, is this Underground Railroad? You've talked about? Yeah. 
Yeah, I have. I I did uh, I did quite a little bit of work on that. I did a documentary film. It's I'm actually in in many ways I'm more proud of that film than I am of the Gangland Wire. It's probably not to the quality because I didn't spend as much money on it, but I, I did spend a little bit on it. And I, I've, I just did. We have this whole really unrealized, unknown history here in western Missouri and eastern Can- uh, eastern Kansas of uh, kind of a significant underground railroad route that was organized, had stations about every 25 to 30 miles, which you could travel in about a day's time, leading for, you know from the western edge of Missouri north through Kansas, through southeastern Nebraska, east across Iowa, to Chicago, and maybe they'd stay in Chicago because they had a large black, free, free black population, or around the lake to uh, Detroit and right across to Ontario because it was an easy jump across the river there at, at Detroit. And there's a lot of great stories. There's a lot of uh, primary source documents, letters, and and uh, accounts that people wrote either during that time, but mainly right after the war and wrote their primary source accounts of that. And so a lot of some experts around here to interview. And I just have learned a lot about it and put that film out. And I'm just proud. It's something I'm proud of doing. I think that's an aspect of the Underground Railroad, to your point, that doesn't get a lot of publicity because I think most of it is focused on the East Coast, isn't it? Right. Harriet Tubman, and uh, as one of my experts said, uh, he said, you know, Harriet Tubman was a great woman. He said, I'm not taking anything away from her because you got to be careful here (laughs) when you do these kinds of things in history, in, in the history circles. A lot of people are really provincial in those history circles. He said, Harry Tubman, a great woman, but she really only led people about 90 miles from down in Maryland up to Philadelphia to uh, William Still's house. And then they were taken on north by other people out here. You had a long, long way to go because you had to go. You, you couldn't stay in Kansas. Kansas was free, but you couldn't stay there. You, just, mm. you know, you, there was no people. Kansas was a territory. There was nobody out there. There was no way to make a living. There was no, no there was no other, other black folks. Uh, Nebraska, there's no other black folks. Iowa, no other black folks to speak of. Very, very few. And so you'd stick out like a sore thumb and you're right next to Missouri. So the bounty hunters would just head north if they found out about any black folks living up in southern Iowa or anywhere in Iowa, they would be headed that way. Chicago, you had to get to at least to Chicago, which is about a, what, a six or 700 mile trek. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like three months to do that. Uh, one John Brown, there's a famous story of John Brown liberating some slaves from a farm in Missouri, and it took him three months from uh, December to March, late December to middle of March to get around to Detroit. I wrote a, a little young adult historical fiction on that trip, and it's a great trip. It's got they had a a birth. One of the slave women had a, a, a had a baby right after they. Broke them loose, shall we say. They killed a slave master in the one of the raids. They had a battle with a bunch of Missourians in which no shots were fired and, and all the Missourians ran off. And uh, I shouldn't say that. I'm a Missourian, but <laughs> but they, they did run off. They were scared of John Brown. Goes on north and, and across Iowa. A young couple, the slave couple, get married along the way by uh, uh, Justice of the Peach up in Iowa. Go on, Alan Pickerton, the famous detective, helps them get from Chicago because uh, he had a, 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 a 
Cooper. He made bar- barrels in Dun- West Dundee, Illinois, which is now a suburb of Chicago, and then around to Detroit and across to Detroit. So that's a heck of a story. Yeah, that sounds great. I can't get many people interested in it, but it's a heck of a story. <laughs> have you always been a student of history? I have. I loved history when I was a kid. I've always loved history. I never understood all those guys that say, oh, I hate history. I've loved history. There's a there's a so a previous guest by the name of Liz Kovart. She's got a great podcast called Benjamin Franklin's World, and it's about the times of Benjamin Franklin, not just about. Oh, him. really? Yeah, and she's she's doing really well, and uh, she's just you know someone else. When when that's your calling, and you put your heart and soul into it, uh, you know you just you end up doing a lot of good research and, and un- unearthing a lot of great stories that people that probably otherwise would not have gone published. That, right, exactly. Even with this mob stuff, just a lot of stories or crime stuff that would, you know, how the time, you know, how they were in, in, intertwined with government and the politics all the way up to the 50s and, and you know, how that affected society. It's just, it's some pretty amazing stories. So uh, as you've been doing the podcast for two and a half years, I, um, what I, I heard or I saw that recently you, you, you did a special episode uh a, to raise funds for the podcast. And it's, it was funny because I know that this is something that's top of mind for every single podcaster, but I don't know many that actually devote a, an episode to sort of like a, a, a drive. <laughs> I keep thinking of Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I can't not think of that. Everyone who grew up in that era knows about that. So yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> my son, we were just talking about that the other day with my son and, and he said, you know, he said, I used to love to sit. He was a little kid. He used to love to sit and watch that whole weekend. And then he, yeah. he'd get a glass jar and he'd go out and collect money. And then we'd take it over and dump it in the fish tank downtown in front of the local TV station. <laughs> so it worked. So we did. Yeah. We, uh, I took it really from the uh, public TV pledge drives, and and so I didn't just ask for money. I asked a little more for money than normal, and and told him I had a, a, some a page set up. I'm, I've I've got a Patreon page set up, but I haven't actually launched it. I've got to do that. I just thought about doing that today. So I just started this thing. Um, what we're saying is help us finance our third season. Our third season's coming up this. April, I guess would be, it would be our third season. Help us, help us finance our third season. And if you give so much money, you're a, you're like a soldier. And if you give so much, you're a capo. And if you give so much, you're a Don. <laughs> if you give enough, you're a capo to duty de capi. And so, <laughs> uh, so that, and, and, but in the middle of that, I told a couple of mob stories too. I just didn't burden people with just me asking for yeah. money and Aaron asking for money. I told a couple of mob stories too. Well, I think there are no hard and fast rules with podcasting, as you probably have come to discover. So, everyone uh, has the you know runs their own race, and and the, to the extent that they can be creative in the way that they support their show and monetize their show, you know. Some I know another previous guest, Jen Briney, uh, has a congressional dish, and she reads the congressional bills on on yeah. the air, and she she deep dives on them, and she is not shy about telling people. You guys have told me you love this show, and I'm telling you that you need to support the show. She has people send them send her checks. So, <laughs> so if you ever uh, you know w- want to hear what she does, listen to one of her episodes. I'll have t- to listen to that one. One of her t- towards the tail end, she actually reads off the people who donate. Okay, this month I got fifty dollars from from Jim. I got a hundred dollars oh, really? from yeah. She reads them off, and she's like, oh, and she tells people, okay, this is the part where I thank my sponsors. If you don't want to hear it, you can. 
end the podcast right now, but I'm oh, going to tell that's... you right now, I'm spending the next 15 minutes reading off a bunch of names. And so <laughs> she, that's she, a good idea. Yeah, she just tells it like it is. <laughs> I've always been a little bit, I, 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 I've only been hesitant about that, but uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that I do thank people, uh, periodically. One of the things that I think uh, as a public service effort that we can do for the listeners is to clear up this myth that I heard recently you and Aaron talking about, about the uh, asking a undercover police officer <laughs> if, 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 if they're a cop. If they're a cop. So once and for all, can you clear up uh, that, that for us? I can clear that up. I have to answer. Yes, I'm a cop. No, I, no. Yeah, we'll clear that up right now. <laughs> you do not have to answer that you're a cop. You can lie to people. Matter of fact, a, a policeman. There's a court case on this. Even in a interrogation set, setting, in order to try to get a confession, you can lie to people. Wow. So the uh, Supreme Court says it's okay that a cop can lie to people under certain circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> but don't lie to your boss. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Well, it seems like the you're you're making some some progress with the show. Like you said, you're, the fact that you're getting comments it's always a nice sign as a podcaster when you can get feedback of any kind. And the right. fact that the fact that you're getting it from other countries, I think part of that might be just the fascination with American crime and 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 the gangster uh, un- glorifying, unfortunately. But I think that's a part of that is is really fascinating for people from other countries. Oh yeah, in England, they're they're huge fans in England and oh, yeah. organized crime. Yes. This one uh, a Facebook page, the National Crime Syndicate. That's that guy that started. That's actually from England. It's a big. It's got like thirty thousand fans. So, oh, okay. It's uh, it started in England. It's got a huge following in England as well as the United States. It's just uh, it's huge in England. I've heard you uh, starting to add some music. I think it was uh well no it was one of the earlier episodes. But I think uh, every now and then you've got some music. Is that Aaron's influence or your influence? Oh, it's it's probably mine more from uh, uh, the way I did m- uh, my documentary films. You always put some mood music, and and so I've tried that. I I I didn't do a very good job early on. I didn't think, and then I kind of backed off. Well, I'm starting in again, and I'm trying to be more skillful about it. If I if I could get enough sponsors, or <laughs> I just hire a sound designer. Yeah. <laughs> but. But I'm gonna I'm gonna try to spend a little more time with that. I've I've done with that book. I spent a lot of time over the last three or four months working on that book, and I don't have anything to do right now but a few traffic tickets as a lawyer and and the podcast. And so I'm gonna spend a little more time trying to do a little sound design. I'm I'm not going back to any sound effects. I tried that. Mm. I don't know. I don't think it worked very well. I had one guy said I had cheesy sound effects. He made a comment and read it, but it's it's kind of a good podcast. It sounds like an old cop telling war stories over a beer, but they got some kind of cheesy sound effects. <laughs> well, you got to listen to your audience sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yes, you do. But I, I, you know, we're doing really good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the l- listeners. The, the unique downloads has probably more than tripled in the last year. That's great. So, uh, you know, if we can do this one more year in a row, we're we're on the way to getting some kind of decent sponsors and then, you know, then we can Aaron can we can pay the rent on the studio. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like all podcasters, I think they have to be in it for the long haul because it is a, a slow and steady race and I think everyone who jumps in and thinks it's going to be 3 months and 6 months and they're going to get 
tens or 50,000 yeah. downloads and they're going to sponsors going to come running to them. It's they're in for a reality check. And that's why they have the term pod fading, because most people don't make it past episode seven when they realize how much work is involved. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, as I've done this and asked people who, you know, find some people who've been a little bit successful and read everything I can on it. It's having good quality content that your particular niche likes yeah. and enjoys and, and keep that solid coming up at least once a week or so, maybe maybe at least twice a month, but probably at least once a week, and and just keep going. And either it's going to go or it's not. Now, I do a lot of social media marketing stuff. I'll spend 30 or 40 minutes every morning doing that, but that's relatively painless. And so that's uh, – but that that's the only way I see to make it. Yeah, that's really important. A lot of people don't spend the time to actually – make those connections and reply back to the people that are commenting. And, and the fact that you're actually putting in the time is probably uh, paying back in terms of the the growth of the show, the growth of your social media. And, and the fact that we connected on social media just means that you're active there and you're looking to make connections where it makes sense. Yeah, I found like <laughs> I've been getting there. I just got a, a, a an email from a guy that found the website and then listened to the podcast and he's a former criminal from Kansas City that wrote a book and then put it aside for a long time. And and now he's wanting to he's I've enthused him to get back into it. And I knew we had a lot of mutual acquaintances, shall we say, from back in the day. I didn't really <laughs> remember him, but but he was he was a professional crook hooked up with some mob guys or a mob guy in particular. So uh, I'm looking forward to having a more relationship with him and, and probably use him as a guest because I like having those ex crooks as guests. Yeah, they. It's funny that you get you get both sides of the uh, the story, which is really interesting. Yeah, I, I, when I became a lawyer, I learned that you know it's just the same. You're just on one side or the other, but it's a game. <laughs> yeah, it is. A uh, couple of couple of questions as we as we wrap up. Uh, what is the one most misunderstood thing about you? <laughs> oh God, that's a tough one. Uh, the most misunderstood. You, you, that that I'm probably uh, 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 not quite as macho and in control and tough as I like to come across. <laughs> okay. People just assume that because you were you were in law enforcement. Because I because because I was a cop and you know and when you do that for 25 years you talk a certain way and I carry yeah. myself I know I carry myself a certain way and I. Uh, I'll talk a certain way, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, uh, as I said, now one, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a semi Buddhist. I go to a silent retreat once a year. I, I meditate uh, on a regular basis and, and I, I'm had a drink or a drug in 32 years. So I'm not, you know, not quite that hard charging <laughs> young guy that I used to be. How have you found that the, the, the Buddhist practice has, has helped you? I think to uh, be able to, uh, in some words, to not listen to every thought that I have come up, every negative thought. Many times when you do creative work, negative thoughts will just will overwhelm me. I mean, every once in a while, it's just like, God, this is just crap. I can't do as good as this person or that. I'll compare myself to people I know that are doing better in the same kind of genre. And, and I'll just like say, wait a minute. That's just your mind telling you that. And so when a person sits in meditation and they just focus on their breathing, they'll notice how these thoughts just come up and they come up and they pass. 
the thoughts like that, negative thoughts will just come up and they'll just, if I let them go and don't base, you know, just continually to build a thought tree on them, don't say, oh yeah, you know, I'm terrible and here's why, and then start building a case why I'm terrible. If I'll just let that go and go back and just breathe a little bit and and then maybe even turn my mind to positive things about some of the comments I've got. I mean, I've gotten this one guy says, I can barely wait for the next episode to come out. And, and so if you've got one person telling you that, there must be, you know, 20 out there that oh, feel yeah. the same way. It's been my experience. So so just uh, not let those negative thoughts overwhelm me. It's easy to do. Yeah, I totally agree. And the fact that, I, I, I mean, for me, I, I meditate every morning and uh, I, I notice the days when I don't do it. And it's just, yeah. it just, it's a great way to start the day. Uh, it grounds you and it makes you realize that it's not all about you. Because a lot of times you're, you, when you get upset, it's really your ego that's getting upset because you, you want things to go your way and that's not how life is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all big babies. We're all five-year-old millionaires on the inside sometimes and think everything should go my way and I should have enough money to do anything I want. If I'm not, then, you know, there's something wrong. Yeah. What have you changed your mind about recently? I'm trying to uh, change my mind about. Oh, you know, I, I've changed my mind about young people, teenagers in particular. I have a, a granddaughter that's, that's kind of, you know, she's going from this 12 to 16 in, in six months. And, and so she's had some upheaval in her life. And so it's caused me to look at my kind of, judgment on young people and 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 i investigated kind of some of the things she was now the band she likes now and the kind of subculture she's getting into and 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 i've changed my mind i was kind of would been really derogatory and judgmental about that but when i opened my mind up to this kind of a thing and i realized well all of a sudden i thought well it's no different from any other new generation they have different music they have different things they're interested in and and so you know, it was easy, you know, being an old codger, you know, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to study hard and, you know, go to Harvard and, you know, get her law degree and then come back and make me proud. And, and you know, and, and I have to realize that she's more of an artist and, and I have to accept and support that. So that would be come on a personal basis, but on a larger basis, you know, to not be quite so judgmental of a, a subculture that's different than me that I don't really understand. That's that's hard to, you know, you just got to always monitor I just always have to monitor myself on those kinds of things because it's easier to feel superior. Yeah, I think it just comes down to having an open mind. And at the end of the day, the the best way to, to deal with some of those situations is put yourself in the other person's shoes. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, what, what's the quote about walking a, a mile in another man's shoes? Yeah. Yeah. I think Elvis said that, didn't he? <laughs> he might have. <laughs> Well, Gary, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad you reached out. You know, as, as you might imagine, it's hard to keep tabs of all the great podcasts that are going out there and all the fantastic personalities behind the microphone. So um, even taking your advice to heart, I think sometimes I just need to be more open about making new friends and, and uh, you know, giving the opportunity to, to just engage with my fellow podcasters because we're all you know in, in in the same ocean you know trying to trying to yeah. move forward and trying to build our shows forward and, and i think any opportunity we can get to make new connections and and for the benefit of our of our audiences uh i think is a good thing oh i agree i agree i always tell other 
people in this podcasting business that I try to make connections with them, or even in this entertainment business, that you know, a rising tide floats all boats. Yeah. And and we can all make the tide rise, and and there's there's more than enough to go around. But sometimes people don't believe that they live in fear but that's you know i don't have to worry about that because i don't <laughs> yeah i think it's uh what, what i like to call the abundance mindset like there's the, yeah the, the pie is big enough there's slices it there is. for everyone and we don't need to be crabs in a bucket trying to each get our own i think if we yeah. all trying to make each other better i think uh, the world itself will be a better place as well and maybe less crime in the future <laughs> yeah yeah i agree I wouldn't have as much to talk about yeah. then. Though, if I had less crime. Well, <laughs> the great plenty of nineteen thirties, forties, and fifties, sixties, and seventies crime. It keep me busy for the rest of my life. Yeah, I don't think you'll run out of, run out of uh, stories there. So, um, so on Twitter, you're Jinx Law and at uh, Jinx Law at Jinx Law, and uh, mm -hmm. the website's Gangland Wire. Correct. Okay. Anywhere else uh, you want folks to check out? Well, I've got my app. I created an app called the Kansas City Mob Tour, and you can download that And from iTunes. I can't get it on the Google Play Store. That's a long story that I have to just not tell. <laughs> but, uh, but you can get it there, and you can take a mob tour of Kansas City. Okay. And it's got maps and all that. So that's, that would be the other thing. You mentioned my book, Leaving Vegas. Yes. Gangland Wire's a documentary. You can rent it at Amazon, and those are my... I guess those are the ways you reach. I have an Instagram account, Gangland Wire. Okay. I don't use it very much. Well, I imagine you'd have. Uh, we should probably talk offline about that, but there's probably a, a tons of opportunities for pictures that you can post related to the episodes. So. Yeah, there is, and I always put some on yeah. my. I, I'm just I'm negligent there. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit. Maybe one more thing to add to the list, and yeah, like you said, <laughs> you, you do it all a little bit at a time, and I think you, you're doing yeah. a great a great job so far, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Okay, I did too. Thanks a lot for having me on. See, I told you you'd enjoy that. He's such an interesting guy. And I I think we could have gone three or four hours more of stories because I've heard a couple on his podcast that we didn't get to go into uh, in too much depth because um, uh, we just didn't have enough time. <laughs> I know in the past I've talked about not cutting a conversation off, but I actually had uh, a couple of things booked that day. So I really had a, that's the one, one, one of the few times that I really had a hard stop. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad that I got to know him. And I'm glad I'm sharing his story with you because I think it'll be inspiring for you, especially for those that are wondering uh, how to connect with your audience and, and how committed you need to be to ensure that you do this day, day in and day out. And that you do it because you're passionate about it as Gary is. We are a part of Podcastica.com. We've got a new show lined up that's going to be joining the family, so stay tuned for that. I'm really excited uh, for Jason and I to be making that announcement pretty soon, and it's someone uh, listeners to this show may recognize. Intro and outro music provided by Cedar and Soil. Check out cedarsoil.com. Also, next week, we've got an interesting conversation with the two guys from the language of bromance, Sean and Rich. What's interesting about that is that I, it's typically a format that I'm not that 
attracted to or interested in, so to speak. And I think what was what I liked about the conversation that I had with them was discovering uh, a reason, their reason for them doing the show. That's something uh, different than I think what they thought when they first started. So you'll have to listen to that episode to find out exactly what it is I'm rambling on about. And I hope you you do get a chance to do that. If you're listening this far, then uh, you'll know that it's because of the retention hashtag. So this week, it's going to be Gangland Gary in honor of his podcast. One word, Gangland, G-A-N-G-L-A-N-D, Gary. And you can connect with him on Twitter at Jenks Law, J-E-N-K-S-L-A-W, and podcast underscore junkies. So you may have heard me ask at the end of each episode for folks to reach out, folks like you and my friends to reach out via SpeakPipe. And I'm happy to report that uh, I do have a new audio from my good friend, my podcasting buddy, Dave Jackson at the School of Podcasting. Harry, hey, it's Dave Jackson walking around the neighborhood listening to my buddy Harry. And uh, just want to let you know, I really enjoyed the episode with Katie Kermitzos. You're right. She is a firecracker. And uh, I've known Katie now for a little over a year and learned more about her and you in that episode. That was really cool. And uh, just always enjoy listening to your show. And I uh, just want to give you an attaboy. Keep up the good work. And uh, I hope to see you at PodFest, buddy. So thanks for all the hard work. See you later. So nice to hear Dave's voice. Can't wait to connect again. If you don't know about PodFest, head on over to podfest.us. It's going to be a more intimate gathering of podcasters, probably more of them from the uh, from the East Coast. Uh, I may be one of the, the ones making the longer journey, but uh, it's, it's just always fun when I get to hang out with uh, my podcasting peeps, my podcasting tribe, and I think it's going to be about a couple hundred folks. Chris Kermitzos and Katie are putting on... Um, an amazing, amazing event. I'm going to be hosting a panel, moderating a panel, and I'm looking forward to that. And I think that reminds me that I need to get some t-shirts ordered. Okay, guys, stay tuned for next week. And I uh, hope you're having a fantastic day so far. Maybe it just got a little bit better because of this episode. Who knows? Let me know.